Hey there, Shepard Mediacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave. That's right, me. And with me is Chris. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Through the yeah. power of asynchronous recording, publishing, <laughs> digital life, you might, someone might be listening, you know, have this show up in their podcatcher. While you're on stage at Event Apart Spring Summit. That's right. We will be, uh, we have a live show. And so if you are listening mm-hmm. to this now, you're maybe too late, but I will uh, we'll be at Event Apart. I'm talking about web components like right this minute. So that's exciting. So. Yeah, that's Monday, April 19th when this show drops. It all goes well. And then the 20th, we have our little Shop Talk Show live. So that should be fun. I don't remember if it's going to actually come to this podcast stream as well i think it has in the past so maybe look forward to that but that's cool i know you it was like a like a minor source of stress for you like any other conference talk can be you know when you give somebody a yes that means you gotta you gotta come through well yeah and i mean i guess yeah we could behind the scenes some conference stuff here but like you know you get asked in like november you know can you do a conference in march or april and you're like yeah i like you guys let's of do course. it of course the distant future of march i have nothing planned march is 100 years away from right now you know like i can't even imagine you know and and then even then it's like okay yeah great like i have a client project kind of like hours just like got scaled back i have time this is great let's go let's go you know and then um and you kind of have to too, right? Like kind of, uh, hype kind of pitch a, a, you, with a lot of conferences, you, you know, sometimes they'll reach out and say like, what do you want to talk about and stuff like that? And you just kind of have to hypothetically anticipate where you're going to be in like four years or four months or five months, six months in web time, you know? And, uh, I knew I was going to be like messing with web components. I already was and working with open UI and, um, and the web component group and stuff like that. And so seemed like a natural fit. It still does, doesn't it? It still does. And in like, I, yeah, like it's, it, it was good, but you know, it's just, but what I didn't know was like March was going to be one of the craziest client months of my whole entire life, you know, and I was going to get the like Moderna shot that took me out for two days and, you know, and so I just, it was hard to like summon the hours to put it together. Talk. I think it came out really good and I tried to do a good job, but yeah, it was like tough to like find the time, you know, just like. Right. Cause it's not, you know, it's not just writing down. There's research and there's making sure that you're delivering it in kind of a coherent, cohesive story. Yeah. Cause I mean, cause there's docs, right? Like every <laughs> there's, if you want to find out about web components, there's a hundred thousand places you can learn is it up to date? You don't know. Is it, you know, you have to learn the hard way, you know, like, is there. Yeah. Uh, your conference talk can't be here. Read the docs. Okay. Bye. Yeah. You know, like you need to bring something to the party. And in fact, that's the number one reason I reject an article on CSS tricks. You know, I got one the other day that was like, I want to teach you how to use storybook for your react components. I'm like, okay, that's an article. I get that that makes sense in your head as an article that you could write. But the storybook website does, does, does that they have docs and they go beyond docs. They have tutorials. This would be maybe okay for CSS tricks. Like, like, you know, if you just looked at it as a glance, 
but it's not right. Like, I can't keep that up to date over time. I, I will never do as good of a job as as the website will. Maybe your article is great. So in that case, please send it to me because maybe you have something in mind that brings something this hard. But usually the pitch is so light. It's just like, I'm going to do that. And then I always write back and say, do not just replicate the docs. Like that's not useful to me. I really need to feel you as a developer in this writing and bring something to the party that is not available in the docs. So I, I use- mentioned that because you're your thing about web components, right? There's lots of resources. What did Dave bring to the party? Well, I was going to say with that, like storybook, like, yeah, it's like how to install storybook is not like, you know, like a compelling article, but like, you know, here's 10 storybook add-ons we're using, you know, you're getting in top 10 jQuery plugins, but like, you know, here's 10 storybook add-ons we use to whatever, deliver accessibility that's an article you know that's an article i want to read or something like that or yeah like like you rough know. edges stuff is good to me like oh we had this you know we managed state in this weird way and it, we really needed to have that reflected in the storybook but it was difficult and but we got past it and here's how hey there you go that's the article but because it does double duty then it lets you know about storybook it can cover the basics of how and why to use it and it can go that one step further and talk about something tricky yeah so i i that was sort of my anyway that would be like a good one uh for me uh in this talk like you know there was um you know looking at the web component landscape um a lot of web component education just drops you into the JavaScript. You go to like the lit element, you know, it's like class, my element extends lit element, blah, 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 you know? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And for me, and and this is people like I've talked to like, you know, uh, like, you know, CSS people and and HTML people and accessibility people and JavaScript people even uh, over. Um, I asked this question too, is just like, are you using web components? Yes or no. If not, I'm curious why, you know, or why or why not. And a lot of people who I think would like web components, they're CSS people, they like HTML, they're not using it, you know? And and I think that's because all the education comes from the JavaScript angle right now. Like you're, you're missing the whole CSS people and you're missing the whole uh, web component or HTML people. You know, and that's a huge swath of the web. WordPress is what forty percent of the web, or something like that. You're you're missing out on a huge mm. group of developers. So, and when when it's only JavaScript only education, it, okay. Well, that's a big that's a big point. So I took it from like the Jeremy Keith's pacing layers of the web. I don't know if you've seen that. He uh, Jeremy Keith has a talk some called things move fast, some building. things move slow. Exactly, exactly. So like. Uh, TCP IP doesn't move that fast. HTML doesn't move that fast. You know, CSS moves a little faster than HTML. We get this 2021 is a hot year for that, but it moves a little bit faster. But then, you know, it's uh, like JavaScript is just Jeremy Bearme. It's all over the place, you know, squiggly wiggly. And, uh, and it's a lot to keep up with. It's like fashion. You have to keep up with JavaScript, right? Um. And, and CSS moves a lot slower, and HTML moves even slower than that. And so, I think um, that's on purpose. It's not like some. It's not like they sit around and being like, "We're going to move HTML slow." Yeah, there's no like cabal that decides that. It just is the way. It... I well, 
Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, controversial. Mr. Okay. Dave, uh, as some opinions, I, I think, you know, thinking about what happened with the picture element and everything there, I think there was a lot of brake pumping, unnecessary brake pumping from the W3C or the wet working group, maybe specifically. It is, it does seem hard to gather up any enthusiasm. You know, speaking of Jeremy Keith, you had this idea about, about, um, share, you know, the web share API. We've talked about it yeah, a little bit yeah. before. It's pretty compelling, I think. I think it's a very good and underused API because of mm-hmm. just how lightweight it is, even in the JavaScript version of it, and how great of a sharing experience it offers to users. It's like the best possible sharing experience. Wow, yeah. that's compelling, right? Because it hits the native layer and like it ha- it'll show you the apps that are installed on the native system for sharing things. So, Jeremy, I think th- I think there's some nuance to this. But it's like, why even need JavaScript? Like, why do I have to execute JavaScript in order to tap into that? Couldn't this be moved down to the HTML level? And I believe the proposal was a literal button element of type share, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I, I don't know what I don't know enough about backwards compatibility and stuff to know what the implications of that is. But at first glance, it seems OK to me seems like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Let's go. Button Button type equals share. And all all it does is fire up the native share thing. And it will falls back to a button, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Type equals camera. Request camera access. Type equals microphone. Request microphone access. Right. That seems kind of cool to me. And I wonder, and that, again, from the outside, I would assume those are going nowhere fast. You know, nobody's going to do that. I don't there, know why, but they're just not going to. There's some nuance, right? Like, uh, and I've discussed this kind of with some people, like, uh, especially I'm going to throw them under the bus. Safari, um, they seem very apt to introduce something like an attribute or a property or a value. Meta tag. Right. Or a meta tag, like kind of these sort of, uh, you think of like CSS properties. They they just shipped WebKit fill available for as a hundred VH replacement or whatever, like right. just because they wanted to or they could. You know, they didn't even ask anyone. They just put it out there. And and I I'm just using them as as an example. But I think browsers, it's easier to ship a value like a modification than a whole thing. Yeah, it's easier to ship like ENV vars or a value, a custom value, or or even like a, a custom thing like switch the the switch statement or something like that. It's easier to switch a new value, ship a new value than it is to switch a new attribute, which would be like a new CSS property. Like I don't know, um, a new CSS property. Uh, yeah, yeah, a new like- CSS property, or even an HTML attribute or something like that. Right, and then it's. And then it's then then it is to ship a whole element with a whole API and stuff like that. So I think like the web is not shipped elements for a very long time. I mean, you know, main details summary. You know, right. like didn't you call them spicy divs? Spicy divs. The last yeah. thing we got was spicy divs. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why all that is, but okay. So maybe then uh, an argument, not an argument, but a part of this is that you don't need to ship new HTML elements because web components now exist. So if you want 
a, sh- a button that fires up a share thing, just make a little web component for it and have it do that. Now, that yeah. doesn't solve the JavaScript angle because in order to even instantiate the component at all, JavaScript needs to run. JavaScript. Yeah. yeah. That's at the core of your HTML imports thing. I know we've beat that thing to death on this show, but I feel like I've get, I get you more and more over time that you literally cannot use web components, period. Not, not even a little bit without JavaScript. Without JavaScript. You can't Otherwise, even, it's a span that does nothing. It's a span that does nothing. That's, you know, in a lot of components, your navigation, your, your header navigation, you know, like they're pretty static um components you're you know and and like wouldn't it be cool to just ship or have a concept of maybe like static components that could just be html or something like that but we just don't have it so i don't know so This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Jetpack. You know, Jetpack, it really helps do all kinds of things on your self-hosted WordPress site. The core plugin of Jetpack does a bunch of stuff. But if you've been kind of paying attention to this Jetpack world, I think you know that they've been kind of breaking stuff off to make sure that you're only paying for things or using parts of it that you know that you need or want to pay for. So, for example, Jetpack Search, their instant search thing, I'm bullish. I think it's a great product. It it's just makes WordPress search super good, and it does it in a way that you have control over, and it does it in a way that there isn't ads on, and it's just, it's great. You know, it's like I would use that on any site, but it costs money. So Jetpack Search is its own product, and it's, it's dependent on how much stuff there is to search on your site. So you can go check that out. But this is about another kind of breaking off of something. They now have this plugin called Jetpack Boost. You can just ju- Google it, and you'll get right to the WordPress plugin repository, you can see about it. Kind of as I talk here, it's in pre-release. So it's saying, do not use this on production sites until they release 1.0. By the time you're listening to us, it might be in 1.0. So feel free to use it at that point. If you go to the plugin page and it's still talking about pre-release, then test it on your local site. See what it does. See if it's doing useful stuff to you uh, uh, and, and and see if you want to and then kind of wait for that 1.0 release to, to push it out to prod. But it's worth testing now. I've been installing it and testing it. it. looks pretty cool. There's some things that the core Jetpack plugin can do, little turn switch features that make your site faster like um, lazy loading images. So, you know, that's built into the web platform now but this is all poly filled up and does it nicely and does it the WordPress way so that, uh, uh, you know, images that are below the fold that are that can't be seen by a user on a page, the image doesn't load at all. Uh, that is a huge performance boost to it. Now that's built into Jetpack Boost. So if you're like, I don't know, how would I incorporate that into my site? Don't worry about it. Install Jetpack Boost, turn on that module of this plugin, and it will do that. That comes right over from the Jetpack Core plugin. But there's other stuff in this plugin. It launches with three modules that uh, that are new. One of them, the most impressive to me, is the critical CSS. It's critical CSS is this idea that the only CSS that's loaded right away, and re- by right away, I mean in line right into the head of the document, is CSS that applies to what you can kind of see above the fold of a website. So it's this minimal, very minimal set of CSS that comes in the first packet of when the website arrives. So it's like there is no delay waiting for all of the CSS to download to render. It's just this like cheat code 
for getting your website to render much faster. How do you generate critical CSS? Well, it's super hard in my experience. It's like tricky, hard thing to get right. This plugin does it for you with all kinds of magic. It has to like, in order to work the first time, it you know, you'll see a progress gar go. It's like analyzing your site and figuring out what it needs to do and how to generate this critical CSS. And then once it's done, it's ready to go and you can use. Very compelling, tricky thing to get right. Perfect kind of thing to trust a plugin to do. That's Jetpack Boost. Check it out. Okay. Well, is there any other kind of points you wanted to share from 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 the talk itself? I was I was I, I just being you know friends and colleagues here. I was able to get a little sneak peek access to to what you were yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. So there's some. I was a little more compelled than I was in the past, but I am in that boat of so many other people is I don't really, I especially don't use them in production. I've played plenty. I've written about them. I've thought about them, but I tend not to reach for them in production. And that, that might change. I think. One thing I realized making the talk is like, they, you know, I, I maybe said this in, in a recent episode too, you know, they were proposed in 2011. They, uh, but you know, implementation didn't land till 2013, 2014. Safari didn't get anything till 2016. Firefox 2018. Edge didn't get anything until 2020 when it shipped to like shipped mm. Chrome, like switch. And to it's Chrome. only 2021, as we know. It's only so. 2021. So if, I, I honestly feel like if you were using web components before, you were in that early adopter fanatic phase of of things you know you're you're maybe an early adopter but i think like now we're starting to see um uh, adoption happen in a lot of the people who are um a lot of the people who are using web components right now are very big companies who have these systems that need to go out to different platforms the old java app the the new rails app quote unquote the uh you know the wordpress site the marketing site the static 11 site for the one pager event section the react app the view app the every you know every department gets to choose their own tech stack so whatever like uh, i think a lot of companies who have these very distributed team systems um they are having success so that said, React and everything, Vue and everything, like those were, those are great choices. And, and like those were kind of the only choices until like last year. I mean, so I, I think, right. Like, so as long as we've been talking about this, the, the real starting line for this game, we just crossed really. So yeah. No. And, and I was ready like in like 2014 to like switch to web components. I was like, ooh, this is maybe kind of compelling. And then, uh, HTML imports got yanked and, and it was just like, well, that's not fun, you know? <laughs> and so, and then even that ES modules is kind of finally out, you know, like it's, yeah, we've been, we've been hitting that hard on this show too. Isn't that part of this story for these, for the deliverability of these things? Like I'm excited about it in the same way as Houdini in a way is that you don't actually have to know that much to be a consumer of a web component. You can just be like, oh, that thing does this. I think you bring up a uh, an image swiper 
which mm-hmm. is a, a great little thing. You know, I have a, you know, a Gutenberg block that does it thanks to Jetpack. I think maybe Jake Archibald built one at one point as a demo. Yeah, for, but it's a nice, it's a great example. That is a little tricky thing to build, mm-hmm. particularly to get the accessibility and all that right. But it's also not that weird. It's two images. You slap them on top of each other. With, you know, Z so index like and before, position. Before, after, slider. Sure, sure, sure. Sure. And then there's a vertical bar down the middle that you can grab with your mouse and drag. So that drag ability has certainly some JavaScript you're going to have to write and all that. But in no world should anybody have to write that from scratch. It's like somebody's done this before. It's not that unique to your app. Like, so now the story as a consumer to use that is import image slider from bleh, which might even be some CDN or something. And then you drop image dash slider in your HTML, probably drop two IMG tags in the middle of it. And now you have an image slider. Wow. That's an awesome usage story of advanced componentry. Like that's really, truly compelling. And it yeah. doesn't matter if you're using Angular or React or Vue or nothing or WordPress or anything. It's irrelevant to that. Well, and that's what I think is cool. It, like, because right now, you know, I, you know, over in the school, you know, it's like, oh, I want to use a a WYSIWYG, and and it's like, oh, here's like Pros Mirror and Quill, you know, and then it's like, oh, but I'm in React. It's like, oh crap. Let's find the React flavor of that, or like the React, you know, like. So you have to like kind of find the flavor for your technology, right? Like some, hopefully somebody's already written the adapter that shoehorns this thing into your thing or flickety. We were talking about yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, like, Oh, well, how do I do flickety in my react app? Like, Oh, well, let's uh, brainstorm some ideas, how we can get that working. You know, um, I, I, I think web components kind of can come along here and say like, just use the web component, you know, like, the script tag yeah, goes somewhere in your vendors and then you just say two up, you know, whatever image one, image two, and hopefully we're done. But, you know, react is kind of a special story right now, but, um, uh, yeah, yeah. we don't even have to get into that necessarily, but the, yes, very compelling. And, you know, the reason I brought up to Houdini too, is because it can be like that in your JavaScript. You can be like, Oh, pull in this Houdini module. And now all of a sudden with one line of code, now you can write, background cats or whatever and have cats right. in your CSS and you're like the usage story was gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah, I mean it it's the one liner, you know, isms. I don't know if that's is that like like if you have a one liner, you have an adoption story, you know? It's just one line right. of code. Very to, com- always compelled by the one liners. And and you know, that's people are like, oh NPM install whatever <laughs> cats npm install cats and you'll get cats on your web page yeah it doesn't and, count native one-liners count. well i, I <laughs> no i think yeah. that's like but that's like that was the story you know but then lo and behold you have to do like ten thousand things to get cats to actually run and bundle in your app you know mm-hmm. but like i think we're getting closer edging closer in here 2021 to like just uh, include the script tag for cats or npm install cats into your bundle, and then you're done. Like you actually have access to the cats, and you just say background cats. You know, you don't have to do 22 divs nested to get the cats to show up. Or whatever, right. You know. So. Right. 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 A lot of things coming together for that, and this really compelling thing 
of web components still, after all this time, is the encapsulation thing. Like, I you know you, I think you argue that the Shadow DOM is kind of a bummer name. I think it sounds kind of cool, you know, like, oh, Shadow DOM. Well, but for you, but the coolness is not goodness. It's, yeah. op- it's an opaque term from the outside. You're sure. Like, but you know yeah. what can't do that? View, you know, React, mm-hmm. Angular. That is a platform thing that is totally unique to web components. Well, I mean, I guess SVG has it. I mean, maybe you can fire up your own little shadow DOM if you want to. I'm not sure what the implications <laughs> are, but that's unique with this, you know, no in, no out kind of capabilities to it. I know there's lots of caveats that we've talked about on the show before, but that is that is is compelling and a reason why these things are are going to matter over time. That it's just is cool. And but I remain bummed out that it doesn't give you any of this. You know, you have this like checklist of stuff that it doesn't give you, you know, like they were totally even though it's so JavaScript focused, totally unconcerned about re-rendering and state and life cycle and all this stuff that, you know, perhaps should have been learned from all these different JavaScript frameworks slash libraries or whatever that that exists today. It's like even if you just had one, I could see the adoption being way higher than it is now. If you're like, oh, here's the, you know, the web components blessed way of handling state or whatever. Here you go. Well, the good news is all that stuff is being discussed in working groups and stuff like that. And so there's a context API, uh, Google, Adobe, they're working on it. So that's actually kind of cool. I learned some things Um, too that, that I didn't know that there's like a, Kind of a light there. I mean, there's already basic lifecycle methods, but there's one that's like, isn't there one like connected attribute changed or some crap Yeah, like connected that? callback, uh, attribute changed callback, and then you have to like observable attributes as a static. Basically, right. you set props. It has props. Right, a prop and, change. So now it's now you should do something about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's kind of that, good, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a little more manual. and But that I think that's where like frameworks can come in and ease the burden, you know, like the, the difference between using lit and writing a, a web component like vanilla is so different. Like it's just, it's like casual mode versus hard mode, you know? Mm. Um, Cause you're just, it's like, Oh, they just called it render as opposed to like document, get element by ID template, my template, you know, attach shadow root blah 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 you know it's just render and so (laughs) there it is like you didn't have to do some like yeah whatever kung fu sugar matters yeah yeah sugar can matter here so Mm. let's do a question we got one here from andrew smith who writes in um on some of my more recent projects at my agency i've noticed an increase in using oauth for user login that's not exactly a new tech, right? But a classic staple of web stuff. Mm-hmm. I assume that this is because it's easier for new users to get up and running quickly, meaning they don't have to enter any repetitive information or remember uh, a new login. So again, OAuth is that like sign in with Google, sign in with, mm-hmm. you know, the, it doesn't have to be one of the major services. It is the underlying technology. But generally people are talking about sign in with X large service that you probably already have an account with. Mm-hmm. Facebook, mm-hmm. Google, Twitter, Apple, more and more. We saw one with uh, uh, Slack the other day. As a matter of fact, I'm going to do this right now, right in the middle of Andrew's question. The the There's a sponsor around 
All so right. high five around. Thanks for, for, for sponsoring ShopDog. I think this is the first of a little series of sponsorships they're going to do with us. Dave and I are like on this thing. Around Literally, we're nice. on it right now. <laughs> yeah, we're really recording this show with Around. Um, it is, it's, it's a video chat app, right? And the most like noticeable thing about it right away is that it's not a big rectangle on your screen. It's these little circles that are kind of zoomed in and cropped to the person you're talking to's face. And it's so like more out of the way than you're used to with video chat that if around only was this, I would still use it because it's like super nice. I think. No, it's like it. Cause I can look at my desktop and look at all the show links and show notes and that are like I have going on here and like still, and then I just have these floating heads. It's our floating heads. It's not, yeah. you know, it, kind of takes out that zoom fatigue a bit, you know, just the, uh, it does. We're like, Dave is looking at my like entire office right now. I can just sense the, like the beams of, of judgment. Yeah. Management Dave's judgment. eye of Sauron is over. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Oh my God, my plant in the back is so dusty. He's probably noticing that right now. Anyway, mm-hmm. he won't notice that not only because is it generally smaller and this little thing, but because I have like a super red to orange filter over my face, which just looks kind of cool, but also means that you're like, it's obscuring some detail behind me. It's like adds an element of fun while being this kind of functionally useful bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Really cool. So that's just describing around and it's for Mac. It's for windows. It's for everything kind of thing. And, uh, and, but, but uh, you're not like giving anything up by using it. It's not like just that, but then it doesn't have screen sharing or it doesn't have chat or anything. It has everything that you need. It's like a full featured uh, video chat client thing uh but with all this stuff you need so the switching over to it was like you know not all software is like this there's like no learning curve you're just like oh this is how it works okay well that's better moving on (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i love it Uh, i you know just to pick one more little thing i like how chat works you don't need a chat room in a video chat app you're already chatting you know, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. It just means that they've rethought it a little bit. Now you can like write a chat message and it appears right below my little head, which is probably because I've been on hmm, 10 billion video chats in my life. Probably a link. Mm-hmm. The number one reason I use chat for is like I just paste a link and I want you to click it. So now in around, I paste that into the chat box. It appears below my head. I tell people to click the link and then we're done, you know. So very, very smart thing. Anyway, thanks so much for the support. We'll uh, tell you more features about them in future shows. I'm sure it's a pretty nice little software. The reason I did that in the middle of Andrew's question, they use OAuth to mm. log in, sign in with Apple, sign in with Slack, all that, you know. I chose Apple. I, I I try to have like a mental list of OAuth providers that that I if I see any random combination of them, I know which one I used because mm-hmm. I have the list. Uh, I put Apple at the top just because whatever. I have a, a trust for their security model in a way, even though sometimes I regret it because it's there's a lot of extra hoops with the Apple login. But I agree. Here we are. Yes, <laughs> a lot of like anyway trust this browser and all that. Okay, so Andrew writes on, well, I think this is great. My app needs to create its own set of users, but with OAuth, 
you know, there are like three, four different possible ways to sign up, including my own sign up form, because, you know, you're not, it sounds like Andrew's not just doing OAuth. It's also like you can also just sign up with a login and password if you want to. So now, now what, you know, how do I manage all these access tokens and figure out which user might be which user when they log in one way and then another way and all that. I've looked at resources or best practices uh, regarding OAuth, but at the end of the day, they usually just end up pointing me to use some paid service because of course, OAuth is just the underlying technology. If you want to add auth, there's companies that are trying to ease that burden for you. And it sounds like Andrew doesn't want to do that. What do you think, Dave? What have you um, built some auth recently? <laughs> yeah, we are literally building one right now. Um, no kidding. <laughs> for the, my stealth startup. Yeah. Um, What'd you go with? Uh, we're just building it like, you know, just like a, a, you know, it's not done yet, but like, I think it's just like that you can like Node.js has passport and passport is like an authentication system, but yeah. you can just do OAuth stuff through that. Like that's one way. Uh, we're also like existing in this framework that probably that has an OAuth like thing. Um, but it's, it's, hmm. you know, it's probably passport under the hood just with their own API. To Which kinda, is, is it free? It's an open source thing. Passport. Yeah, yeah. Passport is. Yeah. But, but like hmm. then, so the, the thing is you do a handshake. That's how OAuth works. I, you know, I put in my Google credentials and it fires off a request off to Google and Google says, okay, uh, this might be the right person. Are you, <laughs> like, yeah. you, you know, there's like a, I forget what the actual steps are, but it's like, are you actually like, so I'll give you this guy's public key or whatever. And then you tell me the token you think you're supposed to get back and, or like you mm. sign this and then I'll go fetch the actual user's token, which is just a 32 character string of that identifies this user somehow. And then I'll send it back to you. And then once you have that, you can actually log them in from there. And so you say, oh, okay, I have user ABCDEFG123. Yeah. I'm going to go look in my database for user ABCDEFG123, uh, see who had a token like that. And then I can say like, oh, that's Dave. I'll show Dave stuff now. So right. that's, and you're doing this if you run your own authentication system too. Like if, I don't know, on Rails, I what did I use on Rails? Um, ah, I forget. There's like a popular service for it. Um, anyway, I like I built my own services and stuff like that. And and you probably do want to have your own service, but I, I think the idea here is like there's some fatigue for like signing up for stuff every single time you go to a damn website, you know, like I do it. Cause I like the security model of like, well, if my Google account gets hacked, they don't get access to my budgeting app. They don't get access to my. Sure. Right. You, just, or, you just password manager it anyway. Right. So. Yeah. I'm going to do that anyway, but you know, um, hmm. so that's one, that's like how I don't do it that often personally, but I think there's some value um, there. So for I that, I think you're probably going to see a higher amount of signups per day if you offer it, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because because it's basically just you know like they don't, they're already logged into their Gmail. If you think of the world in those terms, like they're already logged into Facebook and they're already logged into Gmail, like dot com, then yeah, like just use their session. Then they like show up to your app and they just click log in with Google and Google's like. 
are you sure? And then it's like, you're like, yeah, Google, I'm yeah, sure I'm all logged We should this. have that one on CodePen. It's so stupid that we don't. But we have Facebook, which nobody uses. Well, uh, Facebook yeah. shot themselves in the foot there. Um, but, you know, uh, this is, you know, it's all the intent too, right? Like if I'm making a photo sharing app, I'm going to try to, I'm going to put a Facebook or a Twitter button on there, a social login button, because I, the next thing I'm going to ask them to do is share the photo out on Facebook or Twitter. You know yeah, what I mean? Right. So it's like, might as well have that connection going already. Yeah. You get the automatic integration, you know, another one that's popular, uh, enterprise apps, they, you know, hooking into some company's active directory. Guess what? You're going to use OAuth to do that. You know? Yeah. Like you mean single sign on. Yeah. Single sign on crud. And so like, like mm-hmm. you use OAuth to just verify to whatever single sign on service, like, Oh, is this, this email address is at paravelinc.com. Great. Like I'll just go ahead and like assume it's the Paravel instance of the application, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Uh, I would, you know, just to, to explain a little bit how we do it at CodePen, because it might be relevant to you. I don't know if we're, you know, dumb or genius or somewhere in between for doing it this way, but we still do the, all the OAuth kind of dance, mm-hmm. but we don't deal with all the token stuff. Another thing that you get back is the email address of the person who logged in. So all yeah. we do is just match. No, that's look. true too. So we don't, you cannot go into CodePen and say, I would like to de-authenticate Google from CodePen. Like you, I think you could do that over, well, we don't have Google to begin with, but you can go over to to Twitter and de-auth twi- the Twitter CodePen connection. We don't use it for anything. I don't, you know, like it's not, I don't go ahead, you know, because the next time you log in it'll just be back then and you'll just have to authorize it if you happen to use the Twitter auth thing. But it's just so dumb that it's smart. Like, mm-hmm, we don't have mm-hmm. to build any UI for it. We don't have to do anything. All it does is just you off through the provider. We get your email back. We match it to an email in our thing, and that's it. The do- minor downside, which this comes up almost never, despite many hundreds of thousands of people using it a day to log in, is that you can't have, like, you can't use s- login with GitHub and have a different email address on GitHub than your email address in Copen. It has to match. So if if it's not, then too bad. Then use just use the normal login. Then you know you can't use the social off login. But I never nobody ever bitches about it. Yeah, it's fine. And then you know, it's so lightweight on our side, and it means that we can do this thing where we um, the login or sign up buttons they they do the same thing. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like you know, mm-hmm. if you if you click the wrong one or you're on the wrong page or something, it doesn't matter. It just attempts to log you in with what we find and if we don't find anything it's like oh we don't we don't see you would you like to sign up or not you know Mm -hmm. works fine yeah no that's a great point like you maybe don't even store that token or whatever you just store the email because that's part of the handshake you come back you get like a token which you may actually want to store like in a cookie so like they can re-authenticate later or whatever but like you get you basically just get you get the user's email basically is all you need so then you you're Mm -hmm. like okay Google verified that this is the email. Right. So this, let's go. Like It we'll seems fine. To this point, it works so well. I'm like, I don't even remember what the deal with the tokens is. Like, screw the tokens. I don't care. Yeah, no, you might not <laughs> even use them. Like, 
honestly, and, and that's the other point. Like, why would you pay somebody to do this? Or why would you pay uh, like a service for this? Because you're not managing user data. Like I'm sure, you know, I just literally read about a Facebook hack, you know, like somebody basically scraped Facebook by entering every phone number ever. Like that's a problem. Like storing user data is a bummer. Like, <laughs> and a liability. So maybe you pay somebody to do that for a while, you know, um, not to over pitch, but Netlify has a really generous plan for their like Netlify identity stuff. So, Oh, um, right. Yeah. That's know? cool. Isn't it? Yeah. I think it's like, a, I, I don't know. I'm not a salesperson, although they should like whatever put me on the payroll, but the, it's like maybe a thousand users for free. And so like, if you're over a thousand users and not making any money, you maybe have to rethink things. But like, if you have a thousand users, like you should be able to pay like a buck or whatever a user to keep them logged in. I don't know. Yeah. Even that's probably expensive. It's probably more than they charge. Although I don't know. I haven't looked at it. We just do our own thing and it costs us zero bucks other than technical debt, you know? And, and what is it? Uh, not OAuth.com. That's but what's the auth company? I know you mean, isn't that like Okta does it, don't they? And yeah. Oh uh, man. The big OAuth one though? What is it? Is it uh, Auth Zero? I, oh, auth Zero. Auth is zero. What I'm That's right. That's right, right? Okay. So Auth Zero is pretty cool. Um and also they like handle the user experience. You don't have to create your own login forms and stuff like that. Um it will. Uh, there at some point you'll either need to build a UI or have some strategy for looking up your users. So mm-hmm. like know that, you know, at least you then get that in Netlify or in Auth0 or something. But you can kick that can down the road a little bit, you know what I mean? So sure. um probably not the most expensive thing you do. Um so you bought some some art recently, didn't you? Oh yeah, I got um so I've been um you know, building out the bookshelf. You can see it here uh on on a round, it actually does Very isn't clean. immaculate because I'm in a tiny circle. I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it for the radio uh, people. There's some books. They they look organized. There's some vertical. There's some horizontal. You got to break up the eye a little bit. There's some action figures because how do you know you're a nerd if you don't have some action mm-hmm. figures there? There's uh, some trophies my company mm-hmm. gave me based on weird things my clients have said to me. Um, <laughs> there's uh, my favorite yeah. is you the only Dever I know. That was a uh, text from a grown up that, or a, a DM from a grown up asking me to do something. Uh, anyway, so I have this uh, thing here, but you know, so I'm doing the office, but um, I had like some uh, cool art come through. Um, Monica Declinzo, Declinzow. I'm sorry, Monica, I can't get your last name, even though I've like tried 15 times, uh, but not Waldorf on Twitter. Um, she has a new store open where she's doing like art, which is maybe like her pandemic habit or whatever. But, uh, but she's doing like algorithmically generated art. Mm-hmm. It's really pretty damn cool. And so I, I just saw it and I was like, I want it buy, and I bought it, you know? So that's great. And then, uh, my friend Rob Whitechurt, uh, uh, you might know him as Windhammer, uh, from the air guitar circles. Uh, he, um, he puts together zines occasionally and he likes he's doing these explorations on form uh, where he's like doing, he wrote a Python script that'll just basically like take some instructions and print out every variation of like 
whatever zigzag lines or something like that, you know? And so like, he'll like, he basically goes deep on like finding every variation of something and it's cool. So he, he made a zine about that. And so he sent me one and it's just awesome. Zines zines are the coolest. I'm going to maybe make one, but we'll see one day. Really? I have this, of course, like my desire to be like meta into it is almost stronger than to actually do it. For example, you know, I have a history in print. Yeah. And ceramics. Yeah. I have just learned about, I'm sure many, you know, print nerds knew long knew about these things before I did, but I was just, you know, just learning here. It wasn't part of my history so far. There's this, this company called, I'm going to probably even say it long, Rizzo, R-I-S-O. And they make Mm -hmm. these duplicator things like a, like a, you know, like a two color thing. It's, it looks like a photocopier, but it has literal print rollers in it. Meaning you can like layer color in a way mm-hmm. that you couldn't on just like a inkjet or something. An inkjet just, it's one pass. It goes through all the colors on it. It comes out all over the place. But with, you know, when you have rollers, you can like lay down the red and then lay down the yellow on top of it or whatever and get kind of cooler effects. That's very zine-like. Mm-hmm. It has that kind of like home printing press quality to it. Although th- this would then allow you to kind of do it at a higher scale than you could if you were just like silk screening at home or something so you could make like a run of a thousand a little bit more practically but still have that really cool look to it so of course i i've had this tab open for like two years now where i'm just like i'm gonna buy one of these things i'm gonna get one the whole riso machine and then yeah but not but just so that i could help other people with their zines you know instead mm-hmm. of having to actually design one myself there's actually a uh let me see if i can find it there's like companies there's like a company that'll let you print like a magazine on a like a riso lithograph kind of thing um uh so i'll see if i can figure it oh newspaper club i think is what it's called nice. uh yeah. surely someone's monetized this already but it's basically yeah you can do like broadsheets or like tabloid prints and stuff like that um yeah do you remember um mike montero angriest guy on the internet uh he continues his streak. Um, he made his here. Hold on. Let me go to the zine section of my bookshelf here. Uh, he made this design ruined by design, but in a, a printed zine format. Mm-hmm. And Which, what's is- interesting about this, I like part of the reason I bought it. I think it was uh, printed by the same company who printed maximum rock and roll. The like punk rock zine from like way back. So it's pretty cool. Here's Rob zine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's very nice. It is. Uh, it, and it has all these like kind of art forms on the inside. It's pretty cool. It's really, you're not seeing this on the audio podcast, but here's here's this one, Chris. This is a copy of Wimp Killer number two. Nice. The scene I did in high school with my friend Mike Rice. So, oh, Wimp Killer. You're I love muted. It. I can't hear you, but uh, hold on. Wimp Killer. That's yeah. the best. I love yeah. it. So anyway, we did a... Uh, yeah, yeah, comics. It's it's pretty good. Uh, maybe yeah, yeah. I dabbled. I'll... I dabbled too. Had some friends. We collaborated on comics. Uh, comics with. Uh, I'll I'll dig them out for you someday. I, yeah. Someday I still laugh at them. Can you look at it and still be like, "That was actually funny," or or do you cringe? I don't know if it's cringe. I think there's a lot of cringe in here. Um, I was in a bit of a pro wrestling phase. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's Fair like enough. a. There's like a. Uh, 
like a detention slip for my friend Andy, uh, who got, got the offense was running in halls with pants down, screaming, I'm a leprechaun. I don't know. That stuff's funnier in high school. It's probably doesn't translate to, uh, no, but it sounds Broad like it's making you smile, so it's worth it. Anyway, it's just uh, anyway these. Uh, it, it was fun, just it, good memories of like whatever going up to Kinkos at three a.m. to like scam copies because that guy was chill and you know other people weren't. You know, so mm, that's cool. So, uh, do you, I'm like attracted to the the aesthetic of digital art almost always. You know, if there's some element of like randomness to it, but it, you know, but it was clearly built as a system and the person who did it was clearly thoughtful about it. They put interesting parameters behind it. You know, mm-hmm. usually this digital art isn't like computer do 100% random anything you want and look at output. You know, it's not noise. It's usually like, you know, I've designed this thing and, but it turns out that randomizing it is actually interesting that each iteration of it is then cool. Like I'm looking at uh, Monica's store here and she's got this like, like a top down view of a record player. And so you're looking at the top of a record, but it's very stylized. So, you know, the grooves in the record, you don't see every Mm -hmm. groove, you see a selection of grooves and they're different angles and at different places on the record and different colors and stuff. That type of thing to me begs for randomization. Like, mm-hmm. what color should it be? Where is it placed on the record? That kind of thing that you can imagine. And I just, of course, think of CodePen, you know, like what a perfect place to build that kind of thing. That you yeah. hit, hit some kind of button and it and it makes a new version of that record that's random. And to me, that like randomness, even if you take one's cap and, and then print that one, like it looks like Monica's done here. It's almost cooler to me when it's like left digitally so that each time someone sees it is more random. Well, what's this, this record player thing is the, uh, it's actually the, the, you enter your birthday and it'll put the planets in the alignment they were on the day you were born. Oh, that's incredible. Personalized to you. So it's like, there's, it's just, there's cool stuff you can do. Like I, like you bring in variables into art and it's like, I don't know, you, you know, there's so much of this, like is, is, uh, programming art or, you know, code is poetry, uh, you know, but for me, it's just like, absolutely is the answer, you know? And, and, you know, even artists, it's like, um, you know, I think of like Andy Warhol, who was just a weird dude, but an, an artist nonetheless, uh, like his stuff is pretty basic, but he figured out a formula, you know, he, his art was a, was formulaic. He'd come up with a formula and they do 10, 20, 30 pieces and then industrialize that do 5,000 prints or whatever, just to like, like, well, he made a bunch of money. He made a grip of cash, but like, you know, that was like, he industrialized art in a way that other people didn't, but like, he's just figuring out the variables he can play with in a space. And I think, you know, that's programming. So I don't know. That's code pen too. Like, (laughs) Turn your code pens into printed art like Monica. So. Yeah. 
Good job. We'll have a link to that in the show note, of course. And uh, maybe we'll leave it at that this week, huh, Dave? Yeah, we can wrap it up. Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast your choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. Uh, that's how people find out about this show. We Even 10 years down the line or whatever we are. So, and um, yeah, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. Uh, support us over on patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show and join the Discord. Because it's a fun place to be. And Chris, do you got anything else you'd like to say? <gasps> Topdogshow.com. <laughs>